Okay, today we're going to address the very important issue of the sanctity of human life. It's an issue that touches all of us. In fact, within our small church, talking to people over the years, we have people that through their past experiences have either received an abortion, paid for somebody else to have an abortion. One particular person in our church has a family member that used to perform abortions. And, and you stop and you think, you know what, that's just in our small a small church in a small community in rural Minnesota, if we have that much of it touching our small church in our small community in this small place, how vastly does it touch society as a whole? If you want to talk about pandemics, this is one. In fact, uh, many have referred to it as kind of the Holocaust of our generation. And rightly so, the abortion industry has taken over 60 million lives in the, in the time that it's been legalized within our country back since Roe versus Wade in 1973. And so it's an issue that touches all, all of our lives. It's a blight on our society, and we want to consider it here this morning. Well, as we consider this idea of the sanctity of human life, that just means that it's sanctified, that it's precious, that it's set apart. The reason is that we are made in the image of God, and because of that, we have value. In fact, if you read a little bit farther, get up into Genesis chapter 9 where it's talking about where our diet seems to change a little bit because back in the Garden of Eden and following that, it looked like we were eating mostly fruits and vegetables for a while because it's not until after the flood that you see anything about eating meat and God tells them at that point that the animals would also become food for them. At the same time that He tells them that animals would become food for them, He tells them that anybody that takes a human life will pay with their own. And so a high price for taking the life of a human being, uh, no price for taking the life of an animal to eat it. And what was the difference? So the human beings are made in the image of God. So as we look at it here this morning and this idea of the sanctity of human life, what I'd like to look at is what is the role of the church? Do we have a role? There's a little bit of an issue in that. There's an argument out there that about whether or not abortion is a political issue or is it a moral issue? Well, it's both. It's both political and moral. Because, you know, you always hear, in fact, even back during Roe versus Wade, when the Supreme Court justices weighed in and gave their final decision that abortion was going to be legal, they made a comment in there about not pushing their own morality upon the people. But you know what? Morality is exactly what you need to push. And everybody knows it. Do you find anybody making the argument today that, well, I'm not going to push my morality on you, so, so we're not going to address whether slavery is morally right or morally wrong? Is there anybody out there saying that racism that might be immoral, but we're not going to push our morality on you? No, morality is exactly what you should be legislating. We have laws against stealing because it is morally wrong to steal. We have laws against killing because it is morally wrong to murder somebody. And that ends up being the one that we should be dealing with when it deals with abortion because you're taking the human life. It's time to get rid of the terminology that tries to make it look clean and safe and nice because it just isn't. You're not ending a pregnancy. You're killing an infant. It's scientifically established that that is life within that womb. And if you end a life, you have just killed it. That is the proper word for it. We know two things for absolute certain about what's in the womb. We know, one, that it's alive, and two, that it's human. There's just not a way that you can argue against those two things. And so to bring that pregnancy to an end is to kill the human life that is within that mother's womb. 
well as we consider the sanctity of human life this morning and the church's role within it, we're going to look at our responsibilities. What is our responsibility under God in dealing with this issue of abortion? Well, the church's role, as we look at it firstly, is our responsibility to the culture. And in a word, our responsibility to the culture on this issue is we need to confront it. When you look at the abortion industry, we're looking at a culture of death. And we need to confront that culture. And we need to confront it with life. You know, sometimes people get how much should the church get involved politically. Absolutely, we need to be involved politically. Because as I've said many times, I hate the process of politics because it gets ugly, it gets name-calling, it gets a lot of things that we shouldn't be participating in. But it also is what impacts people's lives. Millions of infants are being slaughtered because of politics. Because we've decided as a nation that it's okay to do this. And so we need to be involved. If that's going to change, it's going to have to happen somewhere. We want it to happen at the grassroots, right? We want it to happen where, where pregnant women uh, in the value themselves value that infant, value their child that is within inside of them, and take a stand for that life and choose life. But the fact of the matter is, is we don't really want it to be their choice either. There are certain things in this life that you should not have a choice over, and this is one of them. Why? Because it involves the life of another. You hear a lot about this, my body, my choice, about that, that kind of thing. And of course, that, that, that goes until you hit the vaccine. But, but uh, hear this, my body, my choice, my body. It's, that's not what we're talking about. I don't really care so much about what they do to their body. I'm worried about the, the body inside of them. That infant that's inside of them has a different genetic code than them. That often has a different blood type. Half the time it's a different sex. That is another individual inside of that woman. I was listening to some uh, clips this week, uh, listening to uh, Ben Shapiro and some question and answers. If you don't know who he is, he's a, a Jewish guy, but very conservative. He was dealing with that, and one of the women stood up, a college student, and basically told him, you need to mind your business because you're a man, and you don't even have these parts, and so it's my body. And he says, I don't care what you do with your body. He says, you can do whatever you want with your kidneys. As far as that, you can do whatever you want with your uterus. But that one thing that's inside your uterus isn't you. It's another distinct individual. And you know what? That distinct individual has been that from its conception. I remember watching a video and a guy was talking about human development. To help us get our, our minds around this issue, it's helpful for us to know exactly what's happening as a human develops within the womb, which we continue to do outside the womb, by the way. He compared it to a car. In a car, it starts on a conveyor belt, right? And there's maybe with just a part of a frame. And they keep attaching parts of the frame. And then once the undercarriage is all put together, then they start to attach other things like transmissions, which they also had to previously assemble, and motors. And you could ask yourself, at what point is that a car? It's going down the assembly line. At some point, it's a car. What point is that thing a car? He said, you know what? It really doesn't matter because it's very different from a human being. You realize a human being, at the moment of conception is given everything it needs. No new parts are added. From within itself, it will develop and it will grow. But no new parts are added. You see, fingers will form, but fingers won't come in from the outside and be added. It's already complete. It has everything it needs just right within that little environment. Now, it's not independent. You know what it needs? It needs food. It needs oxygen, both those things it gets from its mom. And it needs time. Other than that, it will develop on its own within that environment. And so it's not like you're saying, well, parts are being added, parts are being added. At what point? It's all there right from the beginning. And it's going to grow and it's going to develop. So we need to confront our culture 
on this. Now, how do, I, how do we have the authority to do just that? Well, Jesus gave us the authority. I think of Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. He tells us, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. In the following verses, he says, You are the light of the world, a city set on a hill, cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You see, Jesus right there is giving us the authority, not only the authority, the command. He says you are to be the salt of the earth. You are to be the light of the world. You know, salt in an open wound has a purifying uh, presence there in getting out uh, infection. But you know what? It also stings a bit. If you're in a dark room and the lights come on bright, all of a sudden that can hurt the eyes. And we respond. You know, sometimes the world is going to respond negatively toward that salt and its open wounds and toward that light and its darkness. But nevertheless, the church needs to be just that within the community. We are that purifying, that stabilizing influence within our communities. Jesus has commanded us to be that. You know, when you stop and think back to the evils of slavery, and you don't even have to look back in certain parts of the world. You can look around and still see it. But you know what led to the end, the abolishment of slavery in Europe, and what led to the abolishment of slavery in the United States? Do you know what it was? It was pretty much religious white people. It was the church. The church recognized the evils of slavery and proclaimed the evils of slavery until it took part over more and more of society until finally there was enough to say enough is enough for putting an end to this. Well, you look back at the leaders of the movements to get rid of that blight upon mankind, and it was people through their faith in God stepping up and trying to get involved. The same thing needs to happen with abortion. People need to recognize that that infant is made in the image of God, and we need to confront our culture on this issue. You know, in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15, the Apostle Paul writing to young Timothy says, If I delay you, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and buttress of the truth. He says this is the church of the living God, which is to be what? The pillar, the support structure, the pillar, the buttress of the truth. The church in the community, the church within the world is supposed to be that upholding principle that upholds the truth and communicates it to the culture around it. The church is not supposed to flex with the culture and follow the culture. The church is supposed to lead the culture and have a purifying presence within it. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1-5, through 5, the Apostle Paul would tell Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by His appearing in His kingdom, preach the Word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For a time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. He says there's going to come a time where people aren't going to listen to you. You know what you need to do? You need to keep telling them the truth. And so the church has a role in this issue in dealing with life and death, dealing with the abortion industry. We are to be the salt of the earth. We are to be the light of the world. We are supposed to be that influencing part of our society that points out the evils. We need to be standing for the truth. We need to be making the arguments we need to be reminding our leaders what is in our Declaration of Independence. That our Declaration of Independence says we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. A child within the mother's womb ought to be entitled to those rights. You know in Ireland they are? Ireland constitutionally protected the infant within the womb. 
And it's kind of interesting. Ireland has five times less the rate of maternal deaths as the UK does. And the UK is abortion on demand. Interesting. But in our country, in our founding documents, we're supposed to all have protection. We're supposed to have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. If the first one goes away, they're all moot points. But we have taken millions of people and denied them the right of life because they're inconvenient. We also need to reconsider our 14th Amendment. It says, Nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law or deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the law. And these infants within the womb ought to be underneath that protection. When I look back at the court decisions revolving Roe versus Wade, I'm astounded with how uh, illogical and contradictory that ruling is. And make no mistake about it, just because something's legal doesn't make it right. Right? Slavery was legal here before. It didn't make it right. Abortion has had a history of being legal, not legal, legal. It was legal earlier in our nation's history, and then we made it illegal because of the negative impact that it was having on women's health. And so in order to protect women, we made it illegal. And then, come around to Roe versus Wade, we legalized it again. Well, when you look at the court hearings and the rulings that are handed down and the statements that are made by these different judges, I find it astounding. You know, Justice Harry Blackman, he said this. He said, we need not resolve the difficult question of when life begins. How can that not be the issue? I remember earlier this year on Facebook, somebody put up a post that said, what you need to be thinking about is, is all about the women. It's all about the women. And they, they made up all these women with this, and they gave them, they named them. You know, you name them, it makes it more personal. So they called them by name, and they talked about some negative situation in their life, and, and so then they have to make this choice and all that kind of stuff. And, and it was all, it was very emotional. And at the end, I found myself going, well, 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 wait a minute. There's a lot of tragic, circumstances, some of them self-brought on and others not. But there's a lot of tragic circumstances in here and I feel for these women. I feel for the situation that they find themselves in. But in the end, I said, but you know what? The child dies. Yeah, I feel bad for the situation this person's in, but you're talking about dismembering a human being. How can it only be about what they're feeling and what they're going through? How can it not also consider you're killing somebody? And so I wrote a polite response. And I said, I feel for all these women, but you can't kill the kid. I got a polite response back. Let me know I was out of touch and I just needed to be focusing on how these women were impacted. And I'm thinking, but there's millions of kids being killed. Well, we don't know they want to live. Are you kidding me? Does anybody want to be dismembered? Nobody wants that. I know they don't want to. You want to know why I did something that I, I, I probably will never do again. But one time a few years ago, I brought up on my computer on YouTube, I think it was, uh, the silent scream. It's it's old. The ultrasound wasn't as good then as it is now. So if they were to do it now, it'd be clearer, which would be more horrible. A guy that was performing the abortion did an ultrasound of the abortion while he did it. And he was big in the abortion industry. And he ended up leaving the abortion industry after watching his own video. It's disgusting. And in the process of that abortion, you can see that child backing away from those instruments. And they are fighting for their life, but not for very long. It's ugly. And it's sick. And it's legal. Because justices like Harry Blackmun said, we don't have to trouble ourselves with whether it's a life yet. What other issue is more important? In fact, he also made this statement. He says, if this suggestion of personhood is established, the appellant's case, of course, collapses. So on one hand, he says, you know, we don't have to worry about whether it's actually a life yet. But down the road, if somebody figures out that it is a life and it is a person in there, well, then their whole case collapses. Well, since 1973, we've pretty much figured out scientifically it is, it is a person. It is an individual in that womb. 
But for some reason, the case still hasn't collapsed. But I want to go back to the original logic, even at the time that he's there. If you say it doesn't matter when life begins, we don't need to figure that out, then you cannot logically say that if we do figure it out, the case will collapse. You just completely contradicted yourself because if figuring out when life starts causes the case to collapse, then that was obviously the key point of whether or not it should be legal. And so this whole statement at the beginning about we don't need to figure that out right now is ridiculous. Our society needs to be reminded, it needs to be instructed about these things. And if the Christians don't do it, who's going to? We need to be involved in these discussions. In the ruling for the court, it said some of us as individuals find abortion offensive to our most basic principles of morality. But that cannot control our decision. Our obligation is to define the liberty of all, not mandate our own moral code. At the heart of the liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and of the mystery of the human life. We've already touched on how morality is exactly what you do legislate. That's ridiculous to say we're not going to legislate it just because it's immoral. We legislate all kinds of things because of morality. But I want you to focus on that last part. At the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, meaning the universe and the mystery of human life. Here's the deal. All of those things that he listed there are objective realities. The universe is what it is, whether you agree to it or not. Human life is what it is, whether or not you want to recognize it or not. Existence is an objective reality. But the judges are saying, that's part of being free. You get to kind of define your own understanding of what it means to exist or what the universe is or what the... In other words, he's saying, you have the right to not be in touch with reality. And because of what the ruling is, you have the right to make your decisions from an irrational basis. Because you can define your own existence. You know what? If you use that last line, you can justify anything. Any crime, any immoral act in the whole planet, you can justify if you are allowed to use that last line. It is just completely ridiculous. And you see, that's the point. The church, us, we need to be the salt of the earth on this issue. It's not hard. It's, I mean, there's a few Bible verses that we need to know. We're going to go over some more of those next week. Uh, but it's logical. I was watching that uh, Shapiro thing I was talking to you about earlier. And, and Shapiro said, just, just kept comparing it to the same thing with an adult in, in arguing with these young people in the college. You know, at one point he, he said, well, somebody stood up and said, well, that child is, it might be a human and it might be alive, but it's still not independent. Well, if you want to use that, then you've got to go tell, you'll be able to kill them until they're like 18, right? But it's still not independent. It's completely dependent upon his mom. And so Shapiro says, okay, so if somebody's in a coma, can you kill them? And the guy said, well, how long? How long are they, are they in a coma? Like, apparently you can kill them if they're going to be there a while. I don't know. And Shapiro says, well, let's say this. Let's say that they're in a coma now, but there's good prospects, very good prospects that they're going to come out of the coma and be fine down the road. And, he's, and the guy said, well, how far down the road? And he says, I don't know. Let's say like uh, nine months. <laughs> And then the guy's, well, this guy's going to be completely healthy and fine and growing and doing in nine months, but do we have to support him while he's in a coma? And the guy says, well, no, but that's different because he's not a burden to anybody. And he goes, well, wait a minute, you weren't defining it by whether they were a burden or not. But actually you could make the argument he is a burden 
because he's still going to have to be fed. He's still going to have to get hospital care. There's going to be medical bills. There's going to be, he still is a burden. So now, can you kill him since he's a burden that you don't really want to go through? Well, that's a lot to put a family through. Nine months of their loved ones being in a coma. Maybe we should just end it for him. Well, no, you can't do that. But you see, that's the ridiculousness that we get into when you're dealing with an abortion. We start making all these other fake things on what, whether their life is meaningful or not meaningful, is valuable or not. It just is. The church has a responsibility to be salt of the earth, light in this world. But then not only that, we have a responsibility not only to the culture to impact our culture, but we, we need to deal with individuals too. See, culture deals with it on a large scale. We need to be making those arguments. We need to be winning those cases and, and appealing to people's sense of, of morality and dignity and value of life. And we need to be winning that argument, which has been happening. And not all because of the church. I know for the last few years they've been saying over the last 10, 15 years, the pro-life movement has been growing in our society, mainly because of technology. When you see them pictures of ultrasounds in the womb, you can't call it a glob of cells anymore. It is just definitely a human life. Well, our responsibility, not only to the culture, we also have responsibility to the victims. We need to confront the culture. We need to protect the victims. I'm going to acknowledge that there's a lot of victims to go around here. The primary victim has to be the infant because they're the ones being slaughtered. They're the ones being killed. But you know what? They're not the only victim in this situation. I think women are a victim in this situation as well. Very much so. We're going to get to the last part too where we deal with the culprit and they're often the culprit in the situation as well. But you know what? For years, our society has pressured women into different roles and pressure them into different viewpoints that make abortion look like an escape. For years, we told women, oh, it's just a bunch of cells. It's just tissue. It's just part of your body. Do with it what you want. It so absolutely is not that, and it has never been that. The women of our nation and our world have been lied to and manipulated and pressured. And so in some cases, in many cases, the women, I think, need to be included in that as well. I know in talking to a, uh, somebody that when they were younger, they considered an abortion in dealing with their pregnancy, and that's what they were told. It's just tissues. It's nothing yet. There's no baby there yet. Won't be for quite a while. They were lied to completely. And there's that intent to deceive. If your main goal is to give women a choice, wouldn't you want them to have the most amount of information that they can to make the best choice in dealing with them and their future and their family and their baby? Then why do they always get up in arms when we want to make sure women have all the information? Why are they so adamantly fight against having an ultrasound of their pregnancy, of their baby, be a requirement before going through an abortion. You want to know why? Because they get in there and they see that ultrasound and they back out of the abortion. That's why. And that's a huge money-making industry and a lot of power, political power with it within society. And so women are often the victims as well. Well, you know what? The Bible tells us that if we're going to be sincere in our religion, we need to be focused on these victims. In James chapter 1, verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. You go back into the Old Testament, you find the same thing. Jeremiah, Isaiah, those prophets of old criticizing Israel because they're vulnerable, are left unprotected, and they're taken advantage of, they're manipulated. And you know, you look at those two things. Now I know an aborted baby is neither, I guess, a widow or an orphan, technically. But what are widows and orphans? They're the defenseless in your society. They're the most vulnerable in your society. They're the ones that need a little bit of help, a little bit of protection. Well, you know what, if that doesn't apply to the unborn, then I don't know what does. They're not independent yet. They can't do it on their own. They can't fight their own battles. They're not going to go to a meeting and stand before a Senate subcommittee and make a case for their own life. Well, the Bible tells us if our religion is pure, then we're going to care about those who can't stand up for themselves. 
And so we're going to care about the victims. So many times those young women are presented with the idea of abortion like this is going to solve all of your problems. And it doesn't. You know what they find often? They find that on top of everything else that they've already gone through, that it doesn't alleviate their problems. It adds another problem to deal with. Because now they have to deal with the guilt of just having their own child killed. And they know it's a child. And as much as the rhetoric wants to tell them otherwise, in the end, when it's done, they know that that was a child and that they just took their own. And so now there's so much more to deal with. You're not really helping them by giving them this other avenue of abortion. And so we need to be careful in caring for the victims within this. That's part of the reason that we're having that Northern Options is going to be here next week. That's part of the reason that we get in behind their fundraisers and things like that and different people this church have been on uh, different positions with it uh, through the last several years is because we care about the victims. We care about the women that are making those decisions and want programs there to help them. We care that they get counseling to direct them in the right path, the right decision that protects the infant and protects the mom. We want to be involved in those kind of things. But then lastly, the church also has a responsibility to the culprit. I don't really know what to call this, to be honest with you. A culprit, they're culpable. They're, in other words, they're part of the decision that they, they did something wrong. Whether they're somebody that's performing or soliciting for or encouraging abortion or whether there's somebody that goes in to have an abortion, they're, you're culpable. You're, you're guilty of that. And you know what? The church needs a ministry to that as well. We don't want that to be the end of the story. Because the guilt that they experience from going through those or participating in those things, our goal is not that they just be buried in their guilt. Not that we just win the war on whether abortion is legal going out. We want the people that have been damaged by abortion and by this uh, practice to be redeemed from out from under it. We want them to be reconciled. It's very much about saving that infant's life, but it's not only about saving that infant's life. When I was in college, we had a lady come in and speak in a chapel in our service that she had undergone three abortions herself and then ran five abortion clinics and made her living off of the abortion industry for a number of years. And you know what? One day she came to Christ and she got saved and she got out of the abortion industry and she got involved in the pro-life movement. And I remember having a struggle with that a little bit, watching her. It just made me so mad to hear about the abortions, these her own kids that she killed. But then I was so happy that she was forgiven for that, that she was reconciled to God for that sin. This isn't a sin that's outside of the forgiveness of God. This is a sin that Jesus died for. And having done this is not the unforgivable sin. It's You can be reconciled. You can experience that freedom, that peace. From it, You can get out from underneath that bondage of the guilt and the shame because of what Jesus Christ did for you on that cross. And that's what the church, you know, we're involved politically, we're involved out there in the discussion trying to win over the culture. At the same time that we're winning over the culture, we don't want to just win the arguments, we want to win the people. We want even those who are doing these atrocities to see the error of their ways and come to Christ and be forgiven and have a glorious future and a glorious life. You know, a lot of people hurt if the church gets out of balance. We've got to do all these things. We can't just focus on individuals, helping individuals, and be silent about the issues because we have a job of impacting our culture. We've got to be the salt of the, of the earth and the light of the world. But we can't lose sight of the individuals for the crowd either. Our goal can't just be to change the culture. Our goal needs to be repair the lives that are damaged through this atrocity. We need to be doing all of these things. 
We have a responsibility to the culture. We have a responsibility to the victims, and we have a responsibility to the culprits that are involved in this as well. We see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. You know, like every other sin that's out there, anybody that's participated in this sin can actually become the righteousness of God. Because God was in Jesus Christ reconciling this world to Himself. But you know what? That doesn't happen unless the church realizes that we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, we're the ones that take that message to the world. We're the ones that reach out in love to somebody that's doing something that we detest. We're the ones that have to have that balance of standing for life and arguing vehemently for it and yet loving the people that we're arguing with enough to try to bring reconciliation into their life as well. 